Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This is the second segment of Charlie's Corner featuring Steve Germanson. And here is your host, Charlie Venus. Today our guest is Steve Germanson, a principal at Optus Partners. He's a senior level consultant to owners and independent agencies and brokers focused on agency valuations, ownership succession planning, mergers and acquisitions, E&O risk control and quality management. Steve brings considerable experience and expertise in his focused efforts to develop ownership strategies for his clients. Steve earned a BA degree from St. Olaf College in 1986 with a major in economics. He is also an accredited advisor in insurance, an ownership perpetuation planning seminar. What I wanted to do is walk through some of those components uh, and an acronym that you have called PACT. We'll ultimately boil down to our PACT, an acronym, which is P-A-C-T, P being people. You got to have the right people in place, the qualified leaders, the, the people who can produce new business, and those who are willing to take on that obligation to defer some of the gain for a bigger gain down the road and be willing to make those sacrifices of time and capital to make all of those things happen. The P, the people, is, is critical because without it, nothing else matters. When you get into the A, the agency value, it's really having a realistic understanding of what this business is worth. And understanding that, yes, we could sell it for more to the outside world, but quite frankly, that's not what we're about here. We're not going to give the business away, but it's not about squeezing every last dollar out of equity. It's about creating that opportunity again for the next generation, but having that realistic, both those selling their shares back to the agency and those buying in, having a realistic understanding of what that value is. The C is capital. It's having that strong balance sheet in the agency to begin with so that the core of the business is solid and then having access to capital to make those purchases of the retiring shareholders and have the buyers coming in and they have the capital to execute the transactions. And then finally, time, the T in this is, is do we have enough time to make all of this happen? So with the objectives, when you're meeting with somebody, you know, what are the things you go over in establishing those objectives? It's in, typically in a setting that's away from phones and away from the office and, and hopefully get to the point with the partners having very honest conversations about what they want out of the business. And this doesn't just happen on a one event where, hey, let's call Steve or someone else, bring him in for a day, and then we're done. This is a very relational conversation, not a transactional one, which means that you need to have time to develop the relationship the trust within the group and so forth, and then really sort of uh, ferret out those honest intentions about what you want to do, want to retire, how do you want to exit the business and see if you're in sync with everybody else. And in the early days, it's pretty easy to get people to, to be on the same page in that regard. And I think it's almost always their sincere feeling, but you got to test that over time because our opinions, our views, our wishes will likely change over time. If I look at 45 to 55 to 65, and if there's a difference in age and stage of the partners, the older guy is going to be thinking about one thing while the younger men and women will be thinking about something else. So you've got to continue to test that and understand what the objectives are. That will help set the stage. So if the objectives of the group are ultimately at some point in the year in time, 10 to 15 years down the road, we're going to sell it for as much money as we can. Well, then it's a pretty easy process. But if the idea is we're going to turn this over to the next generation and do what we can to nurture the business, to nurture the team and the leadership development and so forth, 
that's a far different engagement, a far more involved engagement, pretty rewarding one, both financially for the group, but just sort of psychically in that career challenge. How often do you suggest that an agency get that third-party valuation? Is that something they do every three years, every five years? If you have a sort of a, a steady diet of withdrawing partners and new partners coming in, you're probably going to do that valuation every year. If you have an employee stock ownership plan, you have to do it every year. Uh, if it's a fairly static group of owners and there's nothing really looming on the horizon, yeah, every two or three years is a good idea just to remind yourself of the value, sort of test out your own planning and so forth. Certainly don't need to do it every year. So going back to the people, what are the attributes of the people that need to meet the ownership requirement when you're looking at skill sets from a management standpoint, sales standpoint? What do you look at there? Regardless of the function you have in the agency, if, if you're a producer, you've got to be an excellent and capable producer of growing your book of business. If you're a department manager, if you're the CFO, if you're the head of IT, You've got to be excellent in your job. You add value to the business by performing that function, regardless of your position. That part is pretty easy to identify. It's what makes you successful in that particular slot. The more subjective part, and but it's critical, is do you have the ability to think like an owner and communicate like an owner? Again, going back to a recent conversation with a client of mine, it was they were struggling with one person that they brought in as a junior shareholder, a very minor shareholder. But as soon as that person got equity in the business, they thought they were owner, king of the world, and their whole attitude kind of changed a little bit and it surprised them. Their understanding of being an owner was different. Our conclusion in that meeting was what they're really looking for is those who are servant leaders. Are you looking to serve the business and help people get better? Not to be the king or queen of the business, but how do we help lift everybody else up? It's that subjective piece that says, can you think like an owner? It's not just about having your name on the door. It's, there's a lot more involved than that. And on external deals, how much, if any, of an impact does talent at an agency play in the valuation? From that standpoint, talent's huge because those buyers will have their leadership team in place at the top C level within all of the disciplines underneath that. They're usually going to be pretty strong in that regard. And what they need more than anything else is production talent and some really good account management talent. That's the gold in the business. An organically growing book of business, a book of business with some really skilled account management staff to help retain that business and obviously help land new business that the producers are attracting to the agency. And occasionally you'll have a newer buyer who is still looking to fill in some pieces and maybe IT or HR, what have you. And, and they may find a person that has talent in an acquisition that'll make them even a little bit more interested in that particular seller because there's now an opportunity to fill a hole that they have. But more often than not, it's really that search for talent. That's more important than anything else. When you get to the agency valuation standpoint, when should the agency really start planning and looking at the future pro forma earnings and start building that balance sheet to maximize the value of the agency? You start with the understanding. Uh, just make a very very simple distinction between a lifestyle agency and a growth agency. If the agency is about really funding the lifestyle of the owners so that they can play at the country club and do their vacations, and they're really not building and driving 
bottom line and top line growth and bottom line growth. You can do that later. Just make sure your balance sheet is strong and understand that there will be a little bit of a lower multiple that someone would be willing to pay for that agency. There's no doubt value there for sure, but it's not going to command the highest multiple. So that's that lifestyle agency. And give yourself a few years to get the house in order. I say that with a little bit of tongue in cheek, a little bit of concern, because I don't want people to think that you can just kick back until that point. If you're a growth oriented agency, if you're really trying to run the business like a business rather than a way of life, that pro forma is something you live every single year. You're working on it every year. You're making sure your balance sheet is proper. You're making sure that your revenues are growing at least just a little bit faster than your expenses. So you get that margin expansion each year and that you don't wait for three or four years before a sale. Whether it's a sale or it's an internal perpetuation plan, you're working that and living that pro forma day in and day out. I was just curious if you had any guidelines for agencies on how much debt they carry on their balance sheet. Should they be keeping debt to a minimum? I would start with asking the question, what was the debt for? If you've got an inorganic growth strategy where you're going to make some small book purchases or even buy other agencies and so forth, to have debt that looks really sizable, indeed it is, but if you're growing and you have a healthy bottom line and you're at two or three times pro forma EBITDA, that might be very manageable as long as you can keep growing. If it's to fund a big building purchase or some automobiles or what have you, I would feel a little bit less comfortable saying something to that extent, because quite frankly, that's not adding a lot of value, if any, to the business. Also, if the debt is used simply to take out the former shareholders, again, pretty conservative in that regard. And especially today in a, in a rising environment rate, that debt's going to get very, very expensive. Most of the agencies that I've seen, privately owned agencies, they'll have some debt on the books because of a book purchase or to take out older shareholders. But more often than not, they're debt-free and it feels good to be debt-free. An investor may look at it and say, well, you're underutilizing your balance sheet. You could grow more, making more investments if you take on some leverage. A lot of the guys that I've worked with anyway, just aren't sort of wired that way, if you will. They like being debt-free. So it's a personal opinion, but would be very cautious with taking on too much debt today, knowing where inflation and interest rates are headed. When you go into somebody that they really want to do an internal perpetuation, they've got to have their house in order from a financial standpoint, and they've kind of identified internally who the new owners might be within the agency. What kind of dialogue do you have with or, or do you have any dialogue with those, the people that would be buying the agency at some time down the road and just consulting with them and say, look, this is what you need to do to get your financial house in order, in order for you to be able to, to do this in 10 years? I think that's as an important of a question that anybody could be asking, because if we're talking about building an internal perpetuation plan and a leadership succession plan, you as the owners and you as the leaders have to be able to tell the story to the next generation. You have to be able to begin coaching them on what that looks like, looks like to be in these positions. If you can lay out a sort of a playbook, an action plan uh, that describes to new people, this is how we work going forward. This is how you get an opportunity to obtain value shares or units in the agency going forward. This is how it's exited. Here's how valuation is calculated. 
your role and responsibility as an owner in the future will look like this and you need to be prepared to fill in these roles and whatever it may happen to be, whether it's in the financial management or HR, or you're just continuing to produce, what experiences can we get you inside the agency to sort of test you out and get you ready in that regard? What educational opportunities do we need to get you in front of? Uh, let's say you're, one of your roles is going to be a CEO. Do we get you going into some kind of executive MBA program? There, I think, is a lot of coaching that can and should happen early on in the process. And, and I think agencies of a certain size and larger have to always be continually looking at who the rising stars are. And when you find them is how do we develop them? Internal experiences, external education, what kind of goals and achievements do we expect them to have? And then continually and gradually coach them on, and a lot by demonstration. What does it mean to be an owner in this business? If an agency has somebody like that, they believe can take over the agency in the next 10 years. What do they need to be doing to make sure that they retain that individual or those individuals? And if they don't have them in-house and they want to perpetuate internally, what do they need to do and go out and get those people and how do they reward them in order to get them to hang around? The fun part and the hard part of that is there's nothing that beats that attractive culture and a growing business. People want to be part of a winner. They want to be part of a growing agency, and they want to be part of a culture that feels good that they connect with. So it's really matching the people with that culture internally and externally. That's something you can control, but you can't control who will be appealing to that. First and foremost, have that culture that's positive and have an organization that's growing. That will attract people from the get-go. Now, once you get them in, in terms of how do you keep them there is, well, one is we just have an organization that's so awesome. Why would anybody want to leave? But then there are things you can do like on the production side where you can build some equity in a book of business that invests over time, sort of a golden handcuffs to lock them in. You can create a granting of equity, similar kind of program that over time they have the ability to buy shares at or units at a discounted rate. You create some golden handcuffs. Every agency obviously should have restrictive covenants in place, except for those states where they're, they're just not recognized. That's just good business practice. That's another way to keep them there. But the last thing you want is having an employee who feels like they have to be there, that they have to stay because they can't walk away from the golden handcuffs here. They bring a bad attitude to the office and you don't want to have someone staying because of a contract. You want them staying because this is just the best place in the world to work. Why? Because we have a great culture and we're growing. Great answer, Steve. Thanks very much for that. So we talked about people, we talked about the agency, we talked about capital, and early on we talked about the time. What other considerations are there when you're looking at succession planning and perpetuation? So those are the broad strokes, the outline, if you will. When you sort of get your arms around that, then it's really getting into the nitty gritty. And it's working with your CPA and your attorneys to make sure that You've got the right business form. Are you C Corp, S Corp, are you an LLC, your partnership, what have you? How do you want to structure that both for protecting you as an owner from a personal liability standpoint to minimizing taxes to at the end of the day, if the business does get sold, what's the most tax advantageous way to do that? So then it gets into the nitty gritty and you need to work with those professional advisors and like in our practice, we'll work out these broad strokes, create this plan, 
and then work with the CPAs and the attorneys to make sure that the outline that we've put together gets the proper final documentation. Then the element going forward is really that annual review of it, making sure that we're all still committed to this plan and making sure that if someone in the partnership group may start straying from the original plan is either we do a course correction for that person or that person may have to just figure out how do I now fit into this organization. Those are the qualitative subjective conversations that business partners have from time to time over the course of a year. It just needs tending at that point. You'll frequently want to make sure the valuation continues to be accurate. So within this is when you talk about the A and agency value as well, you have to establish how is the agency going to be a value? Do we do a multiple revenue, multiple profit? Do we get a third party appraiser, which is what we would suggest? How do we establish value? That's one of the other elements. So when somebody engages with you or somebody else at Optus Partners, is it one-time engagement or is it annual or is it a combination? Our firm is more relational than transactional. We do represent buyers and we represent sellers in a particular transaction, no doubt. We're very active and we're very good at that. But from a true consulting perspective, and those are longer term relationships, I think that's where we really excel. And it may not be every year or every quarter, it may be every couple of years, an issue comes up and we get a call from a client that says, hey, I've got an issue and can you help me with it? It may be related to ownership, it may be related to an acquisition opportunity. We just stay in, in relationship with folks over time. You build that level of trust. And I take pride on it in our organization. Well, thanks, Steve. This has been great. Thanks for your time today. Why don't you give us a quick recap in terms of how people, if they want to get in touch with you, how to go about that? The easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to our website at optisins.com. That's O-P-T-I-S-I-N-S.com. You'll see all of our contact information there. You'll get a good overview of who we are, what we do. And, and obviously, you feel free to call or email any one of us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks again, Steve. Charlie, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.